Well, it's a joy to be with you guys, church. Thank you. And this morning, really what I want to do is do some teaching. And uh, the teaching I want to share with you guys about uh, praying and evangelism, putting those two things together, really comes from a friend of mine, Chris Schofield. Dr. Schofield is over the Office of Prayer for North Carolina Baptist Convention. And so uh, he and I get together uh, from time to time. In fact, uh, it was about six years ago, uh, Brother Jimmy, when, when I was in a conference, when Brother Chris was teaching this actual material, that it really began to transform my process of praying and evangelism. Uh, when I was a campus minister for 20 years, uh, before uh, going to Savannah, I was in uh, Charleston. And it was amazing because evangelism on a college campus is fairly easy because you're, you're bumping and rubbing shoulders with college students all the time. And so the opportunity to share the gospel is really quite easy. But when I became a state missionary in this area uh, in 2009, and, and now though I travel 20, 25,000 miles a year for you as a state missionary uh, out of church ministry relations and serving ministers and hurting churches, as I travel, I have to be much more intentional in my sharing of the gospel than it was getting up and going across the campus one day to, to meet with a group uh, for Bible study. And so one of those things became very evident, that I needed to spend more time praying about my evangelistic opportunities than when I was doing all of those opportunities as a campus minister. I, I want to share with you a couple of things. Uh, another quote that came to mind when you said that was this. This is a great quote from Oswald Chambers. He says, We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything else at all. And so before we get any further, let's pray. Father, again, we come to you and thank you for this church and time together. Thank you for your spirit. I feel very strongly here. Thank you for those, Lord, who spent time going through the chairs and praying over them this morning. Lord, it's evident that you're at work here in this congregation. Uh, this pastor has a heart for prayer. and These people have a heart for prayer. And God, beyond that, they have a heart for lost people and a heart to be on mission with you. And so, Father, I pray for me and for us this morning that you might surprise us with a fresh word from your scriptures and from this teaching this morning. I pray that you might help us discover that deep desire that's in your heart and, Lord, put it into our hearts that we be more intentional when it comes to sharing the gospel, that we not just look around for the uh, occasional opportunity, but, Father, that we intentionally look around for lost people, people who don't know Jesus and don't know the love and the joy that comes from a relationship with you through your son Jesus. And so, Father, speak to us, we pray. We ask this in the strong, strong name of Jesus. Amen. I, I love this. I love this because what I want to share with you guys today is such a, a good word. If you go ahead, Kelly, go to that next slide. Here's a great quote, too. It says, the most important human factor in effective evangelism is prayer. Now, now, evangelism, saving people, that's Jesus' business. It really is. And if you remember, Luke tells us that he was actually come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we need to understand that that's his business, but he's invited us to be a part of that business. And one important, in fact, I think the most important part is to be praying for lost people. Because not only is it preparing their hearts, as we're going to see in this study quickly this morning, but also it prepares your heart to be the right tool, the right instrument to share. It's important to be the right kind of tool. See, I believe that everyone's either a one or a ten. A one is someone as far away from Christ as you can get, and a ten is someone as close to Christ as you can get and still be lost, ready to take that commitment and take that step and journey with Christ. And my goal is to move them from one to two to five to seven to ten. That's my work. It's Jesus' work to save them. So I need to be intentional about moving people forward. But I found out if I don't have the right tools and use the right conversation, then sometimes instead of moving people towards Jesus, church, sometimes believers can move people away from Jesus by our behavior, 
by our action or our lack of behavior or action. Compassion. Kelly, next slide. I love this. Prayer for personal spiritual needs. Now, now the presentation I'm sharing with you guys, I've sent that to your pastor, and you can get that if you want these for notes uh, to study in your own quiet time. But prayer for personal spiritual needs. There's a couple things. John in the, in the Scripture in Luke. John 17 we know is the Lord's Prayer. Now, now I love that brother who is trying to read Matthew 6. We talk about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I love a man who's reading the Scriptures and gets drawn into prayer. Did you see that? He was reading those Scriptures. Next thing you know, he had to close those eyes and go before the Father because it just drew him into prayer. What a beautiful, beautiful uh, illustration for us to, to think about. In fact, that's my sermon to me today, Pastor, that I'm taking home to think about that. But anyway, but here we need to understand John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. He's praying for His disciples. He's praying for us and even Himself. And He's praying for the Father's will. In Luke 22, we're told about He's also praying for the, the will of God. But listen to the Scriptures here. And I want to read these Scriptures to you out of Psalm 51. There's some great lines here that reminds us how we need to prepare ourselves to be ready to share the gospel. Verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Verse 13, that's not on the slide, I want to share this one with you. Verse 13 says, Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners shall be converted to you. Can I tell you that I'm the product of evangelistic praying? I grew up in the upstate of South Carolina. I'm what you'd call a hillbilly. Now you're looking at me and says, well, you don't look much like a hillbilly. Well, I tell you what, I've gone through a lot of transitions in my life. If you'd have met me prior to 1981 when I received Jesus into my life, I would have been as hillbilly as you could have thought about. I grew up on what we call the Mill Hill, all of my family from the upstate. And I mean, a bluegrass music ran through my veins like, like nothing else. And it still runs through my, blame, my, my veins. But what I'm saying is this, I was lost away from Jesus. My mom and dad were lost and away from Jesus. All my siblings, brothers and sisters were lost and away from Jesus. The only people I knew in my life, my immediate family who were Christians, were my mother, my, grandma, my grandmother and grandfather, my father's son. And I shared this with the pastor and I want to share with you. Do you realize the only people praying for my salvation was two people, Grandpa Sam and Grandma Murray. Now think about that. My eternity was influenced by two people in my life. Grandpa Sam and Grandma Mert. And I remember coming in playing at my grandparents' house one day and coming in and hearing my grandfather call my name before the Lord that I might know Jesus one day. And I was a young man. I didn't understand all of that. But I knew my grandfather knew the Lord. And I knew that God listened to my grandfather. And I knew that there was something really unique going on in that relationship, just as a child's perspective. And lo, 20 years later, I would come to know Jesus. You see, evangelistic praying is vital. It was vital for me. It was a part of the process. Kelly, next slide. You see, prayer for unbelievers. Matthew 6, and Romans, and Timothy here are important. Matthew talks about the Lord's Prayer. Thy will on earth as it is in heaven, and we know that one. Romans 10, this is where Paul had a focus in his evangelistic efforts. You see, some of you may be focused on praying evangelistically for your family. That's good, and I believe that's where it should start. If you're not praying for your lost family, then I don't think you're going to pray for your lost neighbor or to the acquaintance that you may meet at Walmart or at the gas station. Paul was crying out to the Lord in Romans in his writing here about his focus that Israel might be saved. 
So we need to have a focus when it comes to our evangelistic praying. Timothy tells us that we need to be praying for, for all people. And I love it. He says it irregardless of where they are. I'm going to read that passage later that we need to be praying for all people. Chris Schofield, who wrote this, has this great quote. He says, When the altars of the church are wet with tears of the saints, then and only then will the darkness throughout all the land begin to be stamped out. Now, Chris is a big boy. I'm a skinny boy. Chris is a big boy. And when we get together, we kind of look like Butt and Jeff uh, walking around together. But he's a big boy. But I tell you what, I can't remember a time that I wasn't with him that he didn't shed some tear over lost people in conversation. He would be talking about someone that, that he met, maybe was doing some work on his house, or someone he met at the garage doing some work on his car. And tears would, would come up to the corner of his eye and begin to trickle down because he said, you know, they don't know Jesus. And they got to know Jesus. And it challenges me to make sure that I'm shedding tears in my own heart and out of my own eyes when I think about lost people. It's important for us, Kelly, to know this. Prayer for evangelistic. It says uh, Acts and Colossians here. And we know here in Acts 13 that, that Paul and Barnabas were together going to Cyprus. And they were going to preach the gospel. Colossians tells us that they wanted the doors to be open to them. You see, you and I can be excited about preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel of Christ, but if those doors aren't opened by the Lord, by His Spirit, then we go and we hit a strong door of resistance, keeping us from sharing the gospel. Second Thessalonians says, Finally, brother, pray for us that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did among you. You see, here's something we need to understand. Do you know that every day around the world now, this is around the world, every day around the world, about 125 to 150,000 people come to know Jesus. That's good news. Do you know where most of those people come to know Jesus from? China, India, Africa, the places that we used to say were third world or didn't know Christ. We're on the least of those, folks. We're on the least of those in America. We have very few numbers in comparison to the numbers we have and the resources we have to share the gospel. We're not seeing the salvations that we could easily be seeing if we were more committed to these things and we put prayer and evangelism together. It's interesting though, though 125 or 150,000 people are coming to Christ, 300,000 people are being born every day and 175,000 people are dying every day. We're losing those numbers because it needs to be a rapid expanse of sharing the gospel. It's vital, Kelly. Prayer for believers. John 17, I told you, this is the, this is the Father's prayer. This is Jesus' prayer. Praying for Himself, His disciples, and praying for others. We, we hear His heart. And I love what Chris does with this. He talks about these several things. One is that we're to be kept in His name and His character. You and I need to rest with security that once we are saved, we're His. Hallelujah. And it's not influenced by my emotions or my thinking or even my behavior, but by my heart and my commitment to Him and trusting in Him and relying on Him. So you and I can go out with confidence knowing that we can be kept in His name and character. And we're to be protected from the evil one. Let me just tell you this. Brother Jimmy, when I was a campus minister, now there were times that we would begin to stir the pot down there. We, we saw college students come to Jesus. And we saw college students discipled for Jesus. And we saw college students called on mission for Jesus. 
And right after that work of God to begin to stir up around us, you know what would happen? The adversary, the devil, the evil one would come in and try to stop that work. I'm here to tell you, church, when you really get excited about prayer, you get excited about evangelism, you get excited about missions, trust me, that, that, that spiritual warfare bullseye gets bigger on your back as a church, as a body of Christ. Now, that's not so that you become anxious or worried. Greater is He that's in you than he that is in the world. And be of good cheer. What? We've overcome the world. But we've got to understand that we need to be protected from the evil one when we step out into this work. You see, there are those that He has claimed for Himself. And when we go against that, it aggravates the adversary. But you know what? He's aggravated me enough. I'd like to give some aggravation back to Him, some frustration back to Him, some discouragement back to Him in Jesus' name. To be sanctified in the truth and the Word of God. Here, we need to be set apart, living holy lives. Ian Bowne, a great man on prayer, said this. He said that it's doubtful that we'll become great in prayer until we've greatly been set apart or sanctified with God. You see, holy lives produces holy praying. And holy praying produces power in the lives of others in our own lives. To be one in the mission and focus, it tells us that we should be one as the body of Christ in unity. Jesus and His disciples were together in the mission. And we need to be the same. And I love this one. To be joined with Christ in His work that they may behold His glory. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14? Jesus said this. And this, this is confusing to me a little bit, to think that Jesus looked at His disciples and said, greater works than these you'll do in My name. I'm like, Lord, how can we do greater work than You? Easy. Because when I leave, I'm going to give You My Spirit that will remain. It will remain in You and in this world. And then I'm going to give You something called the Scriptures that You know not of yet. And then I'm going to give You the body of Christ in the New Testament church that we don't have yet. And when you put those three things together, the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures, and the New Testament church, greater things will you do in My name. You'll reach more people. You'll love more people. You'll see greater things. You see, church, that's what we've been called to be and become along the work. Kelly? This next one is a prayer prompt. Now here's what I want you to do. If you're a visitor... You don't have to move. And if you're uncomfortable, you don't have to move. But what I'd like for you guys to do is just turn and get in groups of two or three. Jesus said, whether two or three are gathered, I'm in my name. So, so we're just going to pray for just a few minutes here. But I'd like for you, if you're comfortable, you can just turn to your neighbor or you can sit quietly with yourself. But I'm going to lead you to pray for the salvation of lost people. I'm going to lead you to pray for the boldness and a witness to the lost people. And I'm going to get you to pray for the evangelistic fruit of people and in people. So, so if you will, take just a quick minute. Get in little groups as a family or friends, or if you will, just take a minute or two. <clears throat> and I'm going to lead us through these three areas for you as the body of Christ to pray about and ask the Lord to do that. The first one I want you to pray over is to begin praying for the salvation of lost people, people you know and people you don't. Call their name if you can, but take a few minutes and pray for the salvation of lost people that you're aware of. Now pray for a Christian witness to be bold in their witness.
and pray for next Sunday service here at this very church that God would bear evangelistic fruit in lost people's lives. That next Sunday somebody would come and walk these altars and confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. Pray for that. Father, You've heard our hearts. And God, we thank You that You incline Your ear when Your children pray. And so, Lord, we do pray. We pray for that boldness. We pray that next week we would see somebody come to faith in Christ. We pray, Lord, that You'd be glorified in all that we say and do as we think about being about the mission of prayer and evangelism in the lives of our family, of our church, of this community. So, Father, we love You and we thank You. It's in Jesus' name we pray again. Amen. Kelly? Why pray evangelistically? There's some good reasons to pray evangelistically. One is what it produces, but here it says our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I tell people in my walk, I've been a Christian, well, let me think this up, let me, let me think this up, 35 years I've been walking with the Lord. And when I think about my walk with the Lord over those 35 years, there are times of closeness and times of somewhat distance. And that's the ebb and flow of life and walk and journey. Thankfully, He never moves, but I occasionally move. You know why? I'm a sheep like you. And occasionally I wonder. I don't pray enough. I don't read enough. I don't meditate and focus enough. I don't share enough. I don't give enough. I don't, I don't do enough of things sometimes, just like we all do. But His grace is sufficient. And His mercy endures forever. And I'm grateful for that as a child of God. But I tell people, it's one of those things that, but I feel that relationship is different. My wife texts me coming down this morning. We, you know, I tell people there's some blessing and curse. We miss the kids. In fact, when she had the chance to hear me preach, pastor, <laughs> or go keep children's church, she went to go keep children's church. Now, I don't know if that means she misses having children in the home or she just doesn't like my preaching. It might mean she doesn't like my preaching. I've heard myself on tape. It's not that great. And so anyway, that could be the reason. But seriously, though, we got one child. He's a ranger and he's been out of the home for a long time. And we're... We miss that. And, and it's interesting. But we had a great weekend of togetherness. And you know how those weekends you have when the children are gone, you, you, that closeness, that just a, a great weekend where you just, you just don't feel like you could, you could get any closer. And I tell people, that's different than other weekends. We have those weekends where maybe things aren't as close as you'd like in that relationship. Maybe because physically you're in two different places or, or maybe emotionally, mentally things are going on in your own life or, or maybe things are going on with our 23-year-old ranger in Savannah, or maybe he's about to get on a plane. Uh, things like that come up, and, and, and we feel not as close. You tell people, when we're sharing the gospel with lost people, it brings about that intimacy with the Father, a closeness with the Father, that sometimes if we're not sharing out of our hearts, that we begin to feel a little distant. It's not that He looks away from us. It just merely means that we're not following after His heart, because His heart is to share the gospel. In fact, his heart was so committed to sharing the gospel that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus. Put him on a cross. That's how important sharing with lost people is to the Father. So when we're sharing, we're close to his heart. It's a biblical mandate. Let me share this scripture. This is a good one. I wish that fellow was here in the congregation. I'd have him read this. I, I wish that fellow would follow me around before I'd preach, man. I'd let him read the scriptures and it'd be good. It'd be good. Uh, it'd be good. First Timothy, you know this one, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 
It says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, all supplication, prayers, intercession, and the giving of thanks be made to all men. For the king and all who are in authority, that they may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior. Listen, verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's a biblical mandate. Church, it's not optional. In other words, we can't wake up one day saying, ah, I feel like sharing Christ today, and wake up the next day saying, ah, I think I'll take a break. Now, I'm not saying we don't do that, church. Let's be honest. I'm not saying that I sometimes don't do that, church. Let's be honest. I'm just saying it really is an option. It's not optional. It's a mandate. God's commanded us to share the love that we have, the forgiveness we've received. And so it's one of those things that we need to share, the mandate. It enhances the fruit of our, their labors. In other words, as we, not only in our own life, but the lives of others, and our utter dependence to Christ to fulfill His mission to reach the lost. Luke 19 tells us He came to seek and to save that which is lost. In fact, you want a good passage to go read? Go read the first chapter of Mark. And at the beginning it talks about early in the morning Jesus went out to pray. But you know what happened a few verses later? He went out to share the gospel and preach. They're married together. They go hand in hand. They can't be separated. Kelly. The condition of the law. So this is something that, that helps me. Reminds me. Can I be honest with you? Because I live in a, in a nice community. And oftentimes as I'm moving through life, I'm moving through life with people who are educated and, and have uh, resources and things like that. And, 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 and sometimes I don't get into the places of life that we see on the news. I try to make sure that I'm open to those places and willing to go to those places and look for opportunity to go to those places. But sometimes life moves us around. And I forget sometimes, I share with you, I've been a Christian for 35 years. Sometimes I forget what it was like to be lost. Because I've been saved all these years. My life has been transformed. I'm different. I go to the family reunions and they all stand over here and I'm over here. They don't go talk to the preacher now. Nobody wants to go talk to the preacher, boy, you know. That's a little tough, but that's a reality. And it's not that I have anything against them and they have anything against me. We're family. It's just that I'm different than them, those who are without Christ. Now, after a while, we can go talk about hunting, fishing, NASCAR, and everything else we need to talk about and warm up to each other and have a good family conversation. But my life has been changed. And some of their lives have been changed, but some of their lives haven't. We need to remember what the lost go through. First of all, we need to understand that the lost are blind. That this gospel is veiled. That Satan wants to put a veil over their head so they cannot see the glorious gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. People who you talk to who are without Christ are spiritually blind. They can't see the Scriptures or hear the Scriptures sometimes because of that blindness. They're bound. And they're bound by the snares of the devil. In other words, they're bound by the things that hold them down. Addictions, drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things. They're, they're, they're bound with chains. They may have an interest in the gospel and begin to walk towards Jesus and then suddenly something catches them. That addiction, that thing that has them. Greater is He that's in the world. Big but cheer, we've overcome the world. And all of those bondage and all those chains have no power in comparison to the freedom that the gospel brings. Kelly. Also, they're condemned. We need to understand that this is not something that we say This is something that Jesus has said. 
He who believes in Him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's harsh. That's hard. That's the truth of the Gospel. But Jesus presents Himself as a way to overcome the condemnation. And then they're hell-bound. We need to understand that the wrath of God abides. Beloved, when we're believers, you know what we live under? We live under the mercy of God's grace. Think about that. The lost, though they receive mercy from time to time, sometimes the rain runs, rains on the just and the unjust. We know that from Scriptures. But they are always just one step away from the wrath of God. That's frightful. And that eternity could be an eternity in the wrath of God instead of the love and mercy of God. Astonishing. Kelly? They're helpless. And not only that, they're hopeless. They have no hope. Now, they may have money. I lived in a place, and Brother Jimmy knows this, we were uh, we planted a church in the area in, in Savannah, uh, and a lot of the people who came to our church were in a gated community, and those folks behind that gated community were educated, they were wealthy, uh, they were articulate, they had all kinds of things going for them, but those without Jesus were hopeless. They had the best new car, the best new house, played golf five times a week, ate wherever they want, whenever they want, they vacation wherever. And, and I would stand on that little dock fishing for redfish in the afternoon, hoping to have an opportunity to share the gospel. Really was my key intent, though I love fishing. And I would hear them say all the things that they had been doing and done in life, and yet there was no joy, no hope, no peace. And their family was chaotic at best. And I thought, wow hopelessness in the midst of having everything that we sometimes want in life. Kelly, next. It's important to know. Prayer prompts. I'm going to ask the pastor to come up and pray briefly. Praying for believers in the congregation, you, uh, to embrace this biblical mandate I've shared, and also to pray for believers to become more sensitive to spiritual lostness. Pastor, if you'll come up and do that. back on as I shared with you earlier this is this is part of this is part of who we are grace fellowship we exist to glorify God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ that's why we're here and part of that has to do with our prayer lives um, and and it's a big part of it foundational ties it all together it's a root that covers everything we do and so I would like to on behalf of you, uh, the church family, our church family, I'd like to go to the Lord and pray. And I'd like you to involve your hearts with me as I pray now. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, as we come right now, I, I want to pray, I want to pray for each person who's here this morning who has been challenged by your word, um, that has been spoken through Marty. Many came into this place already convicted that they don't pray for their lost friends and family and neighbors and co-workers and people they have recreation with, people they go to school with. You already have been prodding their heart to do it, but Lord, I pray right now that there'd be a breakthrough that the hesitancy, the excuses all those things that keep us from being people who pray 
for the lost and people who share the gospel, Lord, that, that brick by brick you would take that apart so there's nothing left except your passionate heart beating in us to do what you've called us to do and to be who you've called us to be. We remember Jesus' words as he finished speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well and his disciples came around him and, and, and all around, Lord, Samaritans who heard about Jesus were, were coming to them in this land that was foreign and alien and, and, and dirty and unclean with people who were foreign and alien and dirty and unclean and Father, Jesus spoke, open your eyes, look. Fields are white under harvest. And Lord, we remember His words as He spoke to His disciples to pray that the Lord would raise up harvesters to go into the field. And Lord, I believe that those disciples were praying for us. And I believe, Lord, we need to join in that prayer to pray for even others. The task is huge. The plight of the lost is heartbreaking. And Lord, we've spent enough time holding on to this precious salvation when you've called us to share it. And so, Lord, I pray that as we've been praying, many of us here today, that we don't ask for much, Lord. Just give us a heart for the lost. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Kelly? How to pray evangelistically. A couple of things I want to share with you. One is to ask the Lord to send laborers into the harvest. This is a key. Ask the Lord to send His laborers into His harvest. Church, sometimes we get this backwards. We send our laborers into our harvest. You see, when we send His laborers into His harvest, He's already prepared the harvest. But when we go on our own and our own perspective or ability, sometimes we go into the wrong vineyard, into the wrong work. It's important to do that. Ask the Lord for opportunities to witness. I want to challenge you this afternoon. Lord, Pray this prayer. Lord, send someone to me, surprise me this coming week with an opportunity to share the gospel. It may be the person that you hope you could witness to for years. It may be someone in your family who's never listened to you for years. But just ask the Lord to send that opportunity your way to surprise you, to remind you of His greatness. Ask the Lord for boldness. Now it's interesting here, it says, ask the Lord for boldness as a messenger. Here it's got the Ephesians passage. We know Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And at the end of that, it talks about, in other words, to pray... On that armor. You see, you've got to be challenged and you've got to be covered in that, that prayer of boldness, Kelly. Ask the Lord for clarity in presenting the gospel. The one thing I feel like that we've hindered the church and the work of the church here in America above all things is this right here. We have muddied the gospel. It's Jesus plus one and two and three and four and five, but it's just Jesus. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. 
And it doesn't have to be laced with anything other than Christ alone. He's our salvation. And ask the Lord to focus the hearts of His people. Kelly? Here's some scriptures, and we'll go ahead into the next slide as well. Praying for the lost. And this little acrostic hearts. Praying for their hearts to be open, to be sensitive. My grandparents were praying for my hearts to be open to the gospel, and it took years, but eventually my heart was open or stayed open enough to the gospel so that when I went to church on the second Sunday I'd ever gone to church in my life as a, as a young adult, I went down the altar. And I, I said, yes, I need Jesus. Was it was because I was preparing myself? No, the Lord had prepared my heart through the prayers of others. Pray for lost people's eyes and ears to be open so they can see and hear the gospel, not only in word, but in your life, in your actions. Pray that they'd have an attitude towards sin, that sin is rebellion against God. Pray that they would be released from barriers. We talked about that. And pray that those who receive Christ would have transforming experiences that they not just get saved and quietly set in that salvation, but they get saved and they begin to grow in the Lord Jesus. And then pray the Lord send believers to witness to lost people. Hearts. Kelly. Here's a brief testimony I want to share with you, and this is a testimony about prayer. I was going to pick it out of the... try to get one of you guys to share, but I thought just for this sake I'm going to do it. Time's sake is this. Uh, I ride motorcycles, and, 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 uh, and, and, and yes, I fall off motorcycles. That's what happens when you ride motorcycles. But, but I tell people I ride with a group of called Faith Riders, and it's a Christian ministry uh, out of Florida. And in 2011, we were in Sturgis. We go to Sturgis and Daytona and these different rallies. What we do is we set up a, a testimony tent. In other words, you get a chance to get a Harley, win a Harley, but to get a chance to win that Harley, uh, to get a, a, a ticket for the, to win that Harley, you have to hear a three- to five-minute testimony. And so we share the gospel. The year we went in 2011 up to Sturgis, uh, Dr. Meredith went up there. It was interesting. For whatever reason, the South Dakota churches decided to rally together and pray before they share. That was their little thing. Pray before we share. Now, churches have prayed and ministers have prayed and those who were sharing the gospel had prayed. But for whatever reason, the church really got organized and, and the churches of South Dakota said, we're going to pray, then share. And that was their theme. Usually in, in an event in Sturgis, we might share with a thousand, maybe, maybe 2,500 people. That year we shared the gospel with 7,000 people. Pray, and then we're going to share. What else happened up there? Usually on a, an event where you share with two, maybe 2,500 people, you might have three to 500 come to know Jesus. This year they decided to pray and, and to share. And they had 1,000 people come to Jesus. After praying and sharing and putting those two things together, one of ever seven redneck, hillbilly, city slicker, hard-nosed Harley, riding a Japanese, who walked into that tent, one in seven asked Jesus into their life. And I, hey man, praise the Lord. Because I'm pretty sure about 99.9% .9 of everyone who drove up or trailered up or flew up to Sturgis, South Dakota did not go up looking for an opportunity to have Jesus into their life. But prayer and sharing changed all of that. It works. Kelly, next testimony. Next slide. Praying and preparing. Before we share, we need to be thankful. Be thankful for your own salvation. Be thankful for the redemptive work we've been called into. And be thankful for the redemptive ministry that we've been called into. Kelly? And also... Pray with a cleansed life. James 5.16, The effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
Because when we are clean and close with the Father, He gives us that anointing of His Holy Spirit and that awakening of His Word and that equipping of our conversation so that when we go to tell people about Jesus, it's not just us, but Him. Pray according to the promises of God. When in doubt, when in doubt, pray the Word of God back to the Father. You know what? He's not going to listen to me jabber, my jabber. But if I start praying His Scripture back to Him, He will listen to me because they're His Scripture. Kelly. And I'll conclude with this. List praying is important. You need to have a list of people you're praying for. Prayer walking is important. Just like this group prayer walked this, this, this sanctuary before we came in to spend some time in worship. The same way for those neighborhoods, for those places of business. Walk through Walmart in groups of two or three, quietly, eyes open, walking around, praying. Lord, give us an opportunity. Create a place of, of opportunity. Prayer visitation. Going and knocking on doors, not say, hey, do you know Jesus? But knocking on doors saying, hey, uh, is there some way we can pray for you as a church? These have been some tough times, some confusing times. And prayer groups, getting together, and I know the church does, getting together to pray. And, and here's what I'll conclude in saying. I love the reality is that, that this is not something that we come up with. We didn't think this up. And I'm glad sometimes that we didn't think things up. I'm glad that sometimes they come from the Scriptures by His Holy Spirit for the church to do. And this is one of them, church. I know you're a good church. You love each other. And you love the Lord Jesus. And you're a praying church. And you're a sharing church. And you're a church on mission. But my prayer is that in the, in the days and weeks and months to come, that you will surprise yourself with what the Lord chooses to do by your fresh commitment and recommitment to prayer, to evangelize, and to be on missions.